0: Well, today we're going to talk about control. How many controllers do we have in the crowd today? Raise your hand if you're a controller. Raise your hand. Because the first two services, plenty of them too. So we're going to talk about control. I'll raise my hands. I'll raise my feet. I'll raise it all. And um, I'm, I'm always about three weeks up in my message preparation. So this one put together three weeks ago and had a lot of fun putting it together. But now I get to share this one. <clears throat> I um. I I text my wife she's out of town but uh, three day weekend you know a lot of people out of town and I asked her for permission to share this story and she hasn't got back yet so uh, (laughs) so I shared it in second service because she didn't get back to me and so I I shared it and typically I've been I've done really good I've learned how to ask permission instead of forgiveness after the fact and uh, but I just really couldn't wait on this one she hadn't gotten back to me yet so let me just tell you this little story that happened just last weekend It has to do with control. And uh, my wife and I are very, very controlling people. We would admit it out loud. But one of the things that happened uh, last weekend on, on Saturday is my daughter had, had the baby shower for my daughter at the house. And it was all basically family. And it was a women's for women only. So, you know, I just ate food and got out of the way. And mm-hmm. um, it was a really great time for me. But... Uh, after the fact, she was. We're talking, and I said, uh, "I said, babe, you know, because I always call her babe. She calls me sugar daddy, but that's another story." Right <laughs> or she calls me a papa or something like that. That just means sugar daddy. I don't know. She she doesn't call me that. Don't ask her, all right? Yes, she does call me that. No, so I, I'll go, babe. I go. Let me just tell you something. Um. Uh, something I noticed about you during the whole thing is going on. Whenever there's a large gathering of people at our house and she's running things, she gets a little bit anxious and anxiety because she can't control all the pieces. Do anybody know what that feels like, Amy? Yeah, she can't control it. so it really pushes buttons in her, and it would push buttons in me too. But you know, we know where it comes from because you know she watched her mom the same way, and she grew up in a certain way like I did, and I grew up a certain way as well. Sharon, a second, and so you know the control issues get pushed when we can't control every piece or facet of my life. You know, I, I brought these with me. Um, how many? How many like dominoes? Anybody like playing dominoes right there? Okay, good. But we're not going to play dominoes. So I want to show you some. How many have ever lined up dominoes? Uh, like this, where you line them up and then you're going to... You know what you're going to do, right? It's fun. How many know what I'm going to do? I'm going to knock them down because that's what guys do, right? We knock them down. So you set up the dominoes one after another after another. And and what's the hope? The hope is that I've lined them up right where if I hit this one, what's going to happen? They all fall down. That's right. So the domino thing is, I think, a great illustration of life in that when we are uh, controllers and, and let me... In life, and I mean a rigid controller because every one of us needs a little bit of control in life. I do, you do, we all do. But I'm talking about rigid control. Typically, in a rigid controlling person, uh, like myself, I have, I line up everything in my mind. It's got to fall a certain way. But if, if it doesn't fall, if one of my dominoes doesn't fall, what happens on the inside of me or you? What do you feel? You feel anxiety, you feel, oh my gosh, you feel all these things because the dominoes are not falling the way we thought they'd fall. Now hold that thought, put up this statement that has helped me so much for the last 30 years of my life, and it's at the top of the list of all the dysfunctional issues of a person who grew up the way I did. I want you to read this with me out loud. I love this statement, it's so true. Here we go all together. I fear my life will get worse and uncomfortably anxious if... Control is not possible. Now, this is at the top of the list of a person like me. Now let me explain what that means. My wife and I were both the same. We grew up in alcoholic homes, but it could be anything where your life was out of control as a kid. There could be addiction, whether alcohol, drug addiction. Maybe your parents split up and now they moved you from school to school to school. You went from having good stuff to now your mom's a single mom and you don't have the best anymore. So that's a loss of control and you're moving around or maybe somebody imposed their life upon you when you're younger and that's a loss of control. Wherever there's loss of control, or maybe somebody was a rageaholic and every night it's loss of control in the household and when you grow up with a loss of control loss of control loss of control you grow up to tendency to become a what? Louder? A controller, that's right it's not a brain surgery here you grow up to be a controller now, the way I grew up I didn't know what every day was going to bring so you, you tend to you buckle down and you become this very rigid controller in life ...because of what you're experiencing in your childhood... ...and you grow up to be a, a very, very strong controlling type person... ...wanting to control... ...has anybody figured out yet that you just have no control in life? Has anybody figured that out? It's just so true, we don't have control in life... ...but we'd like to have control. Now, hold that thought because control, rigid control... ...affects all of our us relationships. Because we're in this series on us... ...and us can be relationships with family or friends or coworkers or teammates... It can be um, it can be romantic relationships. It can be uh, sibling relationships, family, marriage. It even affects our relationship with God because if I have to practice rigid control, I'm probably not going to step out in faith too often because it's just too stressful to release the control of my life under God who I can't even see even though I've been a Christian for years. So it, it affects everywhere in my life, but it really does a number on relationships and friendships. So, with that said, hold the thought and I want to read the three verses and I want you to read them with me. The only verses I want you to read Matthew 28, 29, 30 of chapter 11. We read them every week in this particular series. So, would you join me all together and it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I, I want rest inside. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus. Says, For I am gentle and humble in heart. Notice he's going after the heart. You will find rest for your souls, that's the inner you, the seat of all emotions, for my yoke is? Look guys, when I have to practice rigid control, there's not a lot of easiness or lightness inside. There's a lot of angst, anxiety, irritability, there's all kinds of things because I can't control things. And so Jesus came to lighten it up, Jesus came to make it easier for me. Jesus came to release you from these things every day, or I should say every day, almost every day, I just pray to God, I said, God, bring me broken people. Don't bring me the people that got it together because I have got nothing together. Bring me the broken people that really want to know and really want to learn really want to grow. So this series is all about that kind of stuff. And in our series, we've made the statement we're going to address the mess. And the other statement I've made every week is, if I fix me, I fix us. Say it with me out loud. If I fix me, I fix us. So it's a personal responsibility series. If I deal with me, if I work on me, then my us relationships are just going to get a lot better. So we're going to take a case study, a guy by the name of King Ahab. Open your Bible to 1 Kings 21, whether you have it on an app on your phone or a, a regular old traditional Bible, or it'll be on the screen. We're going to look at Ahab, who's the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he wants to buy someone's land, a man by the name of Naboth, and uh, or else he'll even trade for it for what he thinks is a better piece. So verses 1 through 6 say this. Now it came about after these things that Naboth. The Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So there's this piece of land next to King Ahab's palace and he wants that land for himself and it, but it belongs to someone else. So here's the deal he wants to make with Naboth, the guy who owns the land. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close beside my house. It's convenient for me. I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. In other words, I'll make a straight trade. Or, if you like, I will give you the price of it in money. Name your price, and I'll pay that too, if you don't want to make a trade. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. Now, that's a big statement because when he uses the word inheritance, you need to understand that that land in that day was passed down, passed down because it was first given them by God when they came into the promised land and you didn't give that land up to anybody, it stayed in the family. And he's saying, look, I can't trade it, I can't sell it, this is the land God gave my family and it stays in my family, I can't do it. Now watch King Ahab, who's a powerful man, watch his response to know. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed. We'll define those in a second. Because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. Well, that's a grown-up, isn't it? But Jezebel's wife came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you eating? And here's what he tells his wife. So he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, I said, give me your vineyard. I'll give you money. Or else, if it please you, I'll give you another vineyard. I'll give you a better piece of land. But he said, here's what Naboth said to me. He said, I will not give you my vineyard. I'm not going to do it. And that sets off a chain reaction inside of King Ahab because this man will not do what he wants him to do. So let's pray and let's get into this. Let's pray. God, as we um, look at this life and then look at some things after that, God, I, I, I pray, Lord, as we've continued in this series dealing with issue after issue after issue that are so common, things that we run into regularly in counseling, things that I've run into in my life on a regular basis, And so, God, I I pray that we move towards and process towards healing. God, today we won't be healed today, but continue the process. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, Amen. Now, here's what's going on. Naboth, I should say, King Ahab, is angry because he told Naboth, give me your land. In other words, do what I want you to do. He says no. And when he cannot control Naboth by getting the land from him, it says that King Ahab... Goes, is sullen and vexed, means he's sad and angry. He gets mad. He gets mad because you will not do what I want you to do and you didn't do what I wanted you to do. So then he goes home. And what does he do? He goes into his room, onto his bed, turns his face away from the door or window and he will not eat. He goes on a hunger strike. Hunger strike. So what's going on here? Now he finds he's retreating from humanity. He's retreating from fellowship because he's angry about something because you haven't done what I thought you should have done. That's a controller right there. That's very rigid control. In other words, I'm not happy unless you do what I want you to do. How many have found out now that most people are not going to do what you want them to do? Anybody figure that one out yet? Yeah, and when you finally figure that one out, you're going to be a little bit better in your life. Now, let's go back to the statement. I get uncontrollably anxious... I, I no. I it's, it's, I fear my life will get worse and get uncontrollably anxious if control is not possible. Okay. Now l- l- let me let me come down to you guys. I'm gonna bring this down with me. Let me talk to you guys. Put it up on the screen, guys. These are symptoms. Now every week I put symptoms up, and the symptoms are here only for one reason, and that it's a sh- they're always short list. There's no way I could put every symptom up there because it just goes on and on and on. But these are symptoms of a very rigid, controlling person. I can relate to these symptoms in many, many ways. Now, I put them up there because whenever I talk to people one-on-one or, you know, counseling, I always try to tell them, look, because this would what helped me starting 30 years ago, and I still do it. Recognition is important. I have to recognize when something isn't right versus how I'm living. Anybody know what I mean by that? If I don't recognize it, how will I know it's not the best for my life? And so I must live in recognition. Otherwise, if I'm living in abnormal, I think the abnormal becomes normal and I just live that way the rest of my life. It's no different than reading the Bible. Have you ever heard the Bible and the Bible punches you right in the face? Has that ever happened to you? It's just pointing out how abnormal you're living in a certain way of life. So these things are done just for that. Just to show you these things, to open up your eyes to potentially what might be not the best life for you. So we're talking about rigid control. My dominoes have to fall. I've got everything lined up. I have it a certain way and it doesn't fall. It sends anxiety inside of me. Okay, here we go. One at a time. Some of them I'm going to camp on, some of am not. First off, um, I overreact. Um, no, 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 back up. You, you jumped a whole, whole page on me. There we go. I almost got... I felt like I lost control right there. Buddy. I almost went sullen and vexed in the moment and went to my room and turned my face away and didn't eat. Another donut. But anyway. Okay. How about the first one? I overreact to changes over which I have no control. In other words, uh, life and last minute changes. How many of you, just be honest, we're gonna, we've been honest in the series... When you've got it all set up in your mind, all the dominoes are set up, 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 the way you've set it up, and then there's a last minute change that somebody makes or a circumstance changes. It gives you a little bit of anxiety or something. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, yeah. So all of a sudden, we have to have the dominoes lined up or all of a sudden, something's not quite right. I, I don't feel very good about things. Okay, how about this one? All my dominoes must fall or I'll get anxious, irritable, or impatient. Anybody on that one right there? I've set up my dominoes. Got a, come on, how many right there? Let's be honest right now. I've set up all my dominoes. They don't fall, then I get a little bit anxious inside. How about this one? If you don't do what I want, I will remove you. <laughs> let me tell you how that works. I will retreat from you. I will put away, pull away from you. Now, let me show you how that works. And This, this is a common thing in relationships. Sometimes in relationships, if we are rigid controllers, we will put expectations on the other person. We'll put so many expectations on the other person, they cannot possibly live up to all those expectations. But we expect them to live up to all those expectations. And then when they can't live up to all the dominoes we place there, how do we feel when they don't live up to all the dominoes? We get a little bit angry. We get a little bit upset. We feel like, you know, you let me down. You're not making me happy because you're not doing what I think you should do because I've laid all these expectations on you. How many know exactly what that feels like, one way or the other? Put all the expectations. Now, who are we really setting up for the letdown? Them or ourselves? We're setting up ourselves for the letdown because you're not doing what I want you to do and therefore I'm Ahab, I'm going to go, I'm going to retreat, I'm going to disconnect, I'm going to pull away and I'm going to be angry and a little bit sad inside. It doesn't work in relationships. How about this one? I will not make waves in order to control the emotions of others. In other words, if I'm a good kid, mom and dad will not fight tonight. Anybody know what that feels like growing up? Anybody know that one? Okay, let me let me explain that one. Um, as you know I've been sharing this a lot in this series. I'm an adult child and alcoholic. Seventy six million of us in America. One in every four Americans is twenty eight million of us are children in these situations. The rest of us are adults. It's an epidemic in America. There are dysfunctions, there's a creed, and there are roles you take growing up. The role that I took outside of my house was different than our role I took inside my house. The role outside my house, I was like out of control. I always talked in class. They always moved me around because I just couldn't shut up. How many can you can you imagine me that way? Don't, don't, don't say yes. But at home. Almost, oh, it's what's called the lost quiet child. I would shut up. I'm not going to make waves. I'm going to be quiet. Because if I'm quiet and I do my chores and I do my homework and I get good grades, maybe there won't be as much fighting that day. Does anybody know what that sounds like? That's it, just a few of us. But then we grow up and we take this into our adulthood. And we shut down in an adult relationship and we're acting out on our childhood roles that we took. That was my role. There's like six roles you take. But then you get into adulthood and relationships and you don't talk and you don't share. And it really frustrates the other person in the relationship because you won't talk and you won't share because you fear your life will get worse if control is not possible. So you're not going to talk because you think it's going to make it better. It's going to make it worse. Does that make sense to anybody? And so what you have to do is you have to grow up now because remember, when Ahab goes into the room and he starts the anger and the and whatever you sadness or whatever not talking to anybody, he's maybe forty years old, but how old is he emotionally in that moment, would you say? How old? Let's say he's eight. It's 8 emotionally. I finally had to come to the realization in my life when I started down the road 30 years ago that I was 33 at the time, but I was really about 8 emotionally. Intellectually, physically, I was 33, but I was 8 emotionally and relationally. And my emotions were stuck because of what I grew up in my childhood. That's why I was irritable. That's why I was impatient. That's why I was pouty. That's why I would disconnect. That's why I'd find reasons to pull away from people. That's why I'd get upset when you wouldn't do what I want you to do because emotionally I was an 8-year-old person. That's what I was. That's why all my dominoes had to fall and they better fall right. And that's why I put expectations about people that they fully couldn't live out. But I'd always set myself up for the letdown in my life. Am I making sense to anybody yet in this room? Say amen if I'm making sense. Okay, good. So let's move on now. How about this next one? Um, oh, I love this next one. I might suffocate people and drive them away. You know, if you're dating somebody, just tell them off the bat, say, I'm probably going to suffocate you. Could you just tell them that off the top? I'm a suffocator. Just tell them that one. Now, what does a suffocator do? Now let me tell you what, they, they don't do it because, of, because of, they want to control you, but they're fearful. You know, that's why some people will drive by when you're dating somebody, you'll drive by that girl's house regularly to make sure there's no other guy there. Does anybody know what that feels like? Or how about this one? You'll call them 15, 20 times a day or text them, I love you, I love you, I love you, because you wonder where you stand, because you want to you, 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 you make sure they still love you back that hour, right? You laugh, but it's true. I've counseled many, many people. You know, it's always the test. Every hour, every day, do you still love me? Do you still love me? Do you still love me? And you got to show proof that you love me, so we control. And so what happens if they're 30 minutes late? They're probably with another guy right now. Am I right? And so we go through all these crazy things, and so we suffocate. We hold on tighter, we hold on tighter, we hold on tighter, just to make sure that we don't lose them. But in holding on tighter and suffocating them, what are we actually doing to the relationship? We're destroying it. We're, we're pushing them away because no one can live that. Look, when they go home at night, quit telling them, call me as soon as you get home. I want to I hear your voice before I go to bed. <laughs> no, I'm going to go to bed, okay? I'm, I'm going to bed. You're, you're a grown-up now. We're okay. I love you. You know that. We don't have to prove it every second. How about this one? My, uh, this is just for you. Some of you ladies, not all, maybe a few men, but, but, and I've got I to go up here to show this one. Okay. The next one is this one. Um, I'm going to get so old one day I'm going to fall doing that, but anyway... How about this one? My house has to be perfect for me to feel okay. Anybody raise your hand? I'm just curious. That's right. And here's how I always try to illustrate it this way it's like you come home and it's got to be perfect, right? Otherwise, somewhere inside, I don't feel good. <gasps> the lamp's over here. It really belongs there. I feel, whoa, I feel good. Am I right? And isn't it weird? And that's what I try to teach people. is like, how is it that an inanimate object, like a lamp or something, if it's not in its right place, why does it have say-so over your emotions? Why? Tell me why. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Does it? And listen, I'm not against a clean house. Olivia keeps a clean house and everything. But I don't want to live in a museum, and neither do you. Amen? And so sometimes we, we think the house and everything's in order that I'm going to feel better about myself. No, you're not. Because you're going to find something that's wrong all the time. Any amens on that one? Any amens on that one? Okay. Some of you giggle, but you know it's, it's true. Okay, how about this one? You will pick people for romantic relationships that you can rescue because they need you. Okay, let me come back down. this right here. Okay counsel this so much in life so you meet somebody and you're dating them and no offense to anybody but this person you're dating they're just an emotional basket case and they need you and you're going to come in and rescue them and that's going to make you feel like, oh they need me and if they need me they'll never leave me you got it don't you And then so you date, date, you get engaged, and then you get married. And here's where the tragedy begins. Maybe you start bringing him to church, some church, and you start hearing messages from a crazy pastor like me talking about emotional issues. And then you start taking classes with Pastor Eric Disney, recovery classes. And they get in fellowships like that to start dialoguing the issues and maybe they start reading self-help books on these issues. And then they start getting, uh, they start processing. I'm getting a little bit healthier, a little bit healthier, but the controlling person in the party that wanted them because they need me, now they're growing and developing and do they need you as much? And I've heard this statement from people where they somebody's told them, you're not the person that I marry anymore. You don't want them to be the person that you married anymore. You want them to grow and develop. But what happens at the time is we try to keep them down, down because they need me. No, you you want... And if they don't need you, then it starts pushing an insecurity button inside of you. And I've seen that happen so many times. And if you're a counselor, you know you've counseled that so many times in people's life, where one person gets stunted, emotionally they get stuck behind, and the other person keeps growing, and they leave that person behind. I'm not telling anybody to divorce, leave anybody, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying grow is all I'm saying, face up. Or how about this one? This is is one typically for anybody in addictive backgrounds like myself. You might drift back to old addictions because of the anxiety you feel on the inside. Here's the tragedy that every ACA book, adult child alcoholic book, will tell you every time, every time. The the tragedy is that if we don't deal with the interior issues, the anxiety, the irritability, all the angst inside of us, the control, all that, we're going to drift back to that thing in our family that gives us a little bit of peace. We'll go back to a bottle, we'll go back to something. And one will lead to two, and two will lead to three until we start feeling a little bit good, it's, it's relieving my inner tension for a while. But I'm going back. And how many know that a little bit leads to a little bit more? It always is a little bit more. It doesn't matter who we are. It leads to a little bit more. And so you want to break the cycle in the family. You don't want to go down the same road. You want to jettison that thing and break it now before it gets too far and, and you're down a road where you didn't want to be before. And you want to break the curse, the generational cycle from the Ten Commandments Totally. Now, I'm gonna, let's, let's go back to this whole thing. I fear my life will get worse and uncontrollable be anxious if control is not possible. So how do we get out of this thing? How do we, how do we grow out of this thing? Well, you're not going to do it by yourself. You're not going to do it by getting alone. You're not going to do it by retreating from people. It's just not going to happen. You've got to get around people that understand and you've got to be in fellowship with people. But typically the dysfunction will cause you to retreat from people. It just does. It's just the goal of it all because remember Adam and Eve, like Ahab, Adam and Eve, they sin and they retreat. Fig leaves, trees, they're getting alone now. And that's the dysfunction will take you to be alone. Why? Because God said it's not good for man to be alone. Satan hears that and says if it's not good for man to be alone, then I'm going to make you alone. I'm going to make you believe getting retreating is the best thing for you. So I'm going to take this whole thing and I'm going to reverse it. And listen, no one's getting healed today. And I say it every week. You're just processing. You're just starting a process. But I'm going to give you three things that reverse the statement, I fear my life will get worse and uncomfortably anxious when control is not possible. So the first one is I fear. So therefore the answer, number one, I'm going to hit these quick, then I'm going to explain them. Number one, I am loved. So if I fear, then I have to realize that I am loved. I've got to realize that God loves me and I've got to get that in my system, not just in my head, but I've got to get it in my heart. Now watch what God says about fear and love and love and fear. First John 4, 18 says this. Would you read this with me? It's a real good verse. There is no fear and love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves... Punch. Stop right there. Notice what fear does. It involves what? punch? Meaning, something bad's going to happen. If I don't control it, if all my dominoes don't fall, something bad's going to happen. No, it's not. But fear tells you something bad is going to happen if you don't control. And the one who fears is not perfected in, in love. So love conquers fear. Because fear involves something bad going to happen. Now, notice from there, I take you to Jeremiah 31. Three. Notice how God feels about you. God's love, how long it lasts. Watch. The Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting... How long is everlasting? It's forever. It never ends. Therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. So first... Love conquers fear and God's love is everlasting. It just doesn't end. And then Jesus says this. It says it about Jesus. In John 13, 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who are in the world, He loved them to the what? To the end. It means to the full. The Greek means to the full extent. He loves you all the way. So it begins with, I've got to understand, not just intellectually, but know it in my heart, God loves me. That conquers fear. That helps me to release from my control, rigid control issues. But then from there, I fear my life. Next one up is this one. Point two. It's not my life. If I fear my life will get worse. No, it's not my life. Let me explain. Galatians 2.20. Read that with me. It says, I have been... Let's start all again. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, Game still for me. It's not my life. Let me tell you. I'm going to die one day. And so are you. You know that I already know what I want at my funeral? First off, they're going to make a video of me talking to you. If you show up. <laughs> and I'm going I'm to share it. And I want it lighthearted. I don't want it heavy at all. I already lived heavy in my young ACA days. I'm not living heavy, man. I'm going to make things heavy. It's, I don't, don't want to be dead serious. I want it fun. At my funeral, there's going to be a video montage of all the pictures of my life because it's my funeral. When you get to heaven, you can say, you know what, that was a lot of pictures of you. It was my funeral. From, from growing up years to about 23 when I became a Christian, the, the song I want there is, a lot, it's a long way to the top by ACDC. That's what I want. Because it shows my BC years before Jesus. And then in the middle, uh, there's different songs that I want. One of them might be Creedence Waters, Fortunate Son because I thought of, you know, once I became a Christian, it started getting a little better. And there's a couple songs in there. And then after, by the time I get to my seventh song of the montage, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> no. But the last song I want is this. I want Green Days, the time of my, I've had the time of my life. You know why? Because I've had a good life. I've been a blessed guy. Yeah, I've had pain. Yeah, I've had seasons where it was pure hell. I've had physical problems at times. Nothing major or bad. I've gone through depression. I've gone through midlife crisis. I've gone through a lot of tough, tough times. And guess what? I'm no different than you. Because you've gone through them too, haven't you? We've all gone through them. But in the middle of it all, I've had the time of my life. And so I want all these pictures during that time of all the great stuff that happened and, and through the church and family and everything. I had the time of my life. I'm going to die one day. But let me tell you the real truth. I already died. What do you mean, Jim? I died August 12, 1979. That was the day I gave my life to Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I died that day. Now, did I know I died that night in that moment? No, I didn't. I had no idea that I died. I had no idea that's what Christianity meant. But as that time kept moving along, I realized by reading Paul, who says, I die daily, where Jesus says, take up your cross daily that every day, little by little, process, I die little by little by little to my old self. Little by little by little. There's no overnight success stories in Christianity. And little by little. So therefore, when the statement says, I fear my life will get worse, it's not my life. Whose life is it? It's God's life. And if I believe that God loves me, and my life isn't my life anymore, well, my gosh, then that means the dominoes are going to be okay in His hands. And I can believe the third statement, that's this. And that is God. Number three, God is doing good in my life even when it doesn't look like it. Any amens on that one? See, the statement says, I fear my life will get worse and uncomfortably anxious if control is not possible. I'll feel like God doesn't do anything. Life's out of control. This person, this, going there, they didn't do this. No, 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 no. But if I believe God loves me and I believe that it's not my life, it's His life, and this is all process, and not overnight belief like that, It'll process then I'm going to believe that God is doing good no matter what in my life. That God's got control of the dominoes in my life. And that's Romans 8, 28. Would you read this out loud with me? Very common, well-known verse that says, And we know. Stop right there. The word know, K-N-O-W, means "gnostico" in the Greek, To know intimately or experientially. I know. You're experiencing this. That God, you're experiencing something about God in your life. That God causes what? All what? All things. Even when the dominoes fall and when they, they... don't fall. That's right. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So that reverses everything in my life. He loves me. It's not my life. And God is working even when the dominoes aren't falling, even when I feel like life is a bit out of control. Now, let me explain something. You know, that's just so easy to say up here, but it takes time to get. let me put it, let me, let me explain it to you in, in an angle. Those count, if you're a counselor, you probably know this. If you've gotten to school for this, you know this, what I'm going to say next. If you're taking notes, and I'm going to use this later on in a full message, either late this year or early next year on the battle for the mind, but write down in your notes an A, and underneath it put a B, underneath that put a C, if you're taking notes. An A, a B, and a C, capitalized. With the A, spell out um, activating event. Activating event. It's going to make sense in a second. Activating event. In the B, write down beliefs. Beliefs. With the C, write down consequences. Now let me explain it. I don't know what you went through growing up. I don't know who wasn't there for you. I don't know what addiction causes an out-of-control nature in your home. I don't know what pain you still carry right now. I don't know who touched you when they shouldn't. I don't know any of those things. I don't know how old you were when Dad left or whatever. But I do know that causes out-of-control. It causes events, traumatic events in, in people's lives that you cannot deny. Don't deny it. That's an activating event. And some of us, they were just reoccurring activating events in our childhood. That activating event now is traumatic. At that moment now, I have a decision to make, move to B. My beliefs. I can believe good or I can believe bad. See, what happens typically when we stay in our dysfunctions is We look at the activating event, the things that happen, and we go bad on it. We go negative on it. And we wallow in it. And we get stuck in our emotions on it. And we start making statements, thinking things that are just negative, so it moves to consequences. And I'm just living this stuff, and I'm not growing, and I'm not moving out. I'm not moving and living life to the fullest. I'm so stuck inside
1: and I'm angry
0: and I'm irritable and whenever there's a change or a loss of control it pushes my buttons. And I've learned to retreat from people and I've learned to pull away from people. And I know it's wrong and I know it's unhealthy for me because my mind gets by itself and that's the worst thing that can happen for me. Because entropy sets in and moves from order to chaos. That's true of all of us. But if I approach it with proper good belief and good belief is that let's see let's see let's see that God still loves me no matter in spite of all that and, and and it's not my life it's God's life and I'm this good belief and and God's working all things in my life even though it doesn't look like it if I work from that good belief then I can live out good consequences in my life does that make sense so far okay listen listen it's thirty years ago about. I don't remember if Olivia and I were at SeaWorld or we were at the zoo in San Diego. I remember we were walking along, holding Olivia's hand. And, you know, she was trying to kiss me in public. I said, come on, babe. Not I go, let's go behind the monkey exhibit. And, I, and I'm looking up and I go, babe. And she goes, yes. papá." No, she didn't say that. I go, babe, I go, how many have ever heard of this person, Joni Erickson Tata? How many have ever heard of her? If you haven't, that's okay. Joni Erickson Tata had an accident when she was younger, in a wheelchair, quadriplegic. I said, Babe, that's Joni Erickson Tata coming at us. And she maneuvers her wheelchair with her mouth, she manipulates the little wand. Oh, that's Joni Erickson Tata. And I didn't go and say, Hey, Joni. Leave her alone. But let me tell you about Joni Erickson Tata. Was that a tragedy that happened to her in that accident? You better believe it. But she had a decision to make. How will my beliefs go, good or bad? Will I wallow in it? Will I just be angry, bitter? Will I just retreat from people like Ahab, sad, angry, whatever it is? Will I let my emotions, negative emotions, win out? She didn't go that way. She went with good belief. And therefore, because she went with good belief, well, God still loves me. It's not my life anyway. God's still going to cause my dominoes to fall. He's got control of them. This was a bad domino, but you know what? There's plenty of dominoes left. And she turned into a writer of books, Christian books, and a public speaker, a very well-known at the time public speaker. Because she chose to respond in good belief toward the the active event that happened to her. And that's all I'm saying. Every one of us in this room, things have happened to us. They've happened to all of us. But how will we respond? Good belief or bad belief? Bad belief's going to negative out. I'll be angry, sad, irritable. I will retreat eventually because that's Satan's plan. I will pull away from people and be by myself. Or will I go good belief, believe the scriptures? But you know what? God still so has control of my dominoes and I can start dealing with my emotional health and I can live a full life and I can have the time of my life in spite of what I went through in my childhood. Hey, God bless you. Stand it with me. I'm done